Hi, and welcome to Driving Leadership. I'm David Foster. I'm Mike Metcalf. And I'm Sean Pete. Tonight, we're going to dive a little deeper into leadership skills and how you work with your team with the question, what's the difference in leadership between blame and accountability? A lot of times those things get confused and stuck in the same bucket. And tonight we're going to discuss how they're different, what to look for, and why you want to be aware of that. As always, we're going to start with the varsity, Mike, the junior varsity, Sean, and then I'll do the third half of the show. So Mike, tell us, what's the difference between blame and accountability in leadership? So, great question. And I think they look very similar. I think they're sometimes almost in, sometimes it's really hard to distinguish between the two. But I think how they're delivered, whichever one it is, and then the motive behind them is what makes the difference in whether it's a good conversation or a bad one, one that leads to good outcomes or negative outcomes. I just think there's a really thin line. Um, you know, so much of when we get in the conversations as a leader, we have to dictate something to someone um, that say is holding them accountable. Um, oftentimes, Sean and I just just recently today had <laughs> the pleasure of listening to a couple gentlemen getting into what I would say was a, uh, a spirited disagreement. Um, and these are, <laughs> these are, it's part of being on teams, right? We say it all the time. You're going to be, you're together in this, you know, corporate eco structure where you're forced to spend time, oftentimes more time with these people than your own families. And, uh, you're going to have disagreements. And what one of them felt was, was that they were being blamed for something. And I think it could have very easily been an accountability conversation. But when you walk in, temperature escalated, tone escalated, even if it is an accountability conversation, it's just going to get shifted to blame. And I think that's just human nature. When we have these conversations with others, we want to hold them accountable. But then when they do that to us, we take it as if they're blaming us. So that's why I say it's, it's generally a more connected conversation than I think just a black and white from my point to say like, well, one is very different and it's on the right and the other one's very different. And it's on the left. I think it all comes about, you know, just how you, how you say it and, and what your motive is behind it. How do you differentiate in, in your model, what's good and what's bad in terms of outcome or process? Yeah. So the, the, the outcome, so we're, we talk about brilliance and, and pushing and inspiring people. Uh, and that can be done in any type of conversation, whether that's a, a pat on the back for something good or something that went horribly wrong. You can still figure out ways to inspire people to keep pushing. Um, I, I just I think defining that um, has to be rooted in expectations like you need to have when you, you can only hold somebody accountable to, to, to a standard in which they are aware of. So if you're saying, hey, we we fell short in sales this week uh, or whatever, and that's not good enough. And we established that we needed to be here last week. That would that would be probably an expected conversation. I would hope that somebody would say something, because if they didn't, you're probably working in the wrong place. If people are just going to let you underperform and be OK with it. Um, blame looks a little bit different when it's I mean, I didn't know that that was 
a measurement that I needed, a metric that I needed to hit. And you're coming at me with all this stuff that I need to do and it's catching me off guard. That feels very different. So I think uh, just to answer your question, I, I think it's just all in what happens after that. Does, yeah, does, it, does, it, does it make you excited to go back into that job and do more or does it make you less excited to do it? Less excited to have more interactions with that CEO or leader. Something you told me, you know, a while back was that um, as human beings, so often we judge others by their actions and we judge ourselves by our intent. Right. And yeah. I think it goes to what you're saying about that argument um, and maybe lend, you know, lend some advice on you know, how you differentiate between the two or how do you how do you safeguard that as a leader so that you aren't holding someone to a standard you're not holding yourself to and judging someone on their actions and yourself by your intent. Yeah. If we're honest, as leaders, we all do that. I mean, that's just, I mean, we're in, in kind of, we're almost paid to. I mean, you, you think about the precedence of all the leaders that have come before us and the people that you've looked at, looked up to, all of them have done in some regards, or they would not have gotten to where they were, have done a decent job of holding people accountable based upon their actions. Right. The only problem is, and we talked about this a couple of weeks before, is that you kind of get to that seat where your feedback gets cut off to where no one's really holding you accountable. So I think by nature, the only thing left that you have to judge is your intentions. You know, you may have wanted to make the, you know, the the integral decision on, a, on something. Um and maybe your actions didn't, but you knew your intentions, like you wanted to do the right thing. And so that's okay. And so I think it's a matter of making sure that whether that's, again, an executive coach or mentor or just someone that you trust that can keep you aligned with, you know, what your intentions are and making sure that they connect to where your actions. But I mean, it, it's really hard to do, Sean. I mean, that's why that's why you have to have good people around you. Yeah. And, and if, if, if what you're saying is that you know, accountability is rooted in expectations. How might a leader go about making sure that the expectation is set or that the expectation is clearly communicated? I'll just take a, 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 page, a page out of your book and how you, even if it's guys that are and girls that have been, you know, with your program for 10 years, at the start of the year, you go back through everything. I mean, and when I say everything, Ladies and gentlemen listening, I mean everything. I mean, it's a two and a half, three hour discussion of the basics. This is how we're going to talk to each other. This is how we're going to work. This is when we're going to work. This is what we're going to work on. And the less that you leave to people's imagination, the more um, when I think you give them, you know, underneath their wings to fly in your organization. They they know what the expectations are. They know what to do. It's kind of like Harbaugh's, uh, you know, love him or hate him, gets up and puts on the same outfit each morning, right? It's just one less thing to think about. And, and so I think that's what expectations does. When there's these little twists and turns in your organizational journey, they don't have to think about it. They already know, like, at this check light here, we go forward. At this one, we go left. At this, we go right. And so and in my opinion, expectations really sets the foundation for the success of your company. And it allows these conversations to always be accountability conversations instead of blame and what was me conversations. Those expectations have to be communicated really well. And it almost has to be a conversation where you listen really hard, I think, to be able to determine whether the other person understands what you're trying to communicate. 
And if I'm, if I'm tracking you, I think those clearly communicated expectations that the whole group either knows or agrees or understands allows a leader to be in a position where he can hold or she can hold people accountable without being tempted to blame. Is that what you're saying in a way? Yes. Yeah. I, I think it kind of takes, it takes a little bit of the angst out of the, out of those conversations. And one of the really good things that comes from it is, is that he or she doesn't necessarily always have to have those conversations. You know, when it's very clear expectations, of what we have to do, what the workload is, how we treat clients, how we respond to failure, things like that. When other people aren't doing those things, it's easier for other people on the team and say, hey, this is, I see what you did there, but this is how we do it. This is the, you know, the Apple way, the whatever way, right? And so, um, yeah, absolutely, David. I think you're, I think you're tracking. And so in absence of that good communication and agreement and sort of like cohesiveness, would you say that's where blame starts to fester? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, those, those communications um, to me, so, you know, so, so many people start in a company um, and really don't know the history of it, the precedent, how we got to this point. Um, and you do a quick training, maybe it's two weeks, maybe it's two months, but even with that, there's still no real way to know, you know, everything that's going on. And so that's why we talk so much to, to teams about creating cycles in their, in their workflow, um, to where there is a learning time, a downtime and on time, you know, and, and, and that's not always practical, but it, it is important to sit everybody down and make sure that everybody knows what the expectations that you have as a leader, you cannot afford to make assumptions that, oh, they'll figure it out or, you know, uh, it's on the website or, you know, like these need to be intentional strategic meetings from you, the leader to your group to let them know what to do. When that does not happen, you create room for, um, you know, like I said earlier, you create room for assumptions, uh, conjecture. Um, well, this is how we did it at my last company. I don't really see a, a, clear protocol for this. So I'm just going to try this because I'm comfortable with it. Um, I don't really like how he or she is doing this. So I'm going to do my own thing. And, and so then the leader comes back and says, Hey, hey, what are you doing? And they're like, well, no one told me. And, and, and I, I, I hear that from people because they're like, you know, I got these people and they're working, they're just freelancing and doing their own thing. And, and it's always the question of, well, how specific, how specifically did you direct them as to what they were supposed to do. <laughs> you know? And generally the answer is like, well, I mean, you know, they, they got it. They got a, an MBA from Harvard and they, you know, they have all this stuff. It's like, yeah, that's great. But that does not teach them specifically to work for you and your style of leadership in this company in a post COVID world. Right. So there's just a lot of specifics and it's up to us to update those expectations so that people know what they are. Is that when you pull yeah. out the Ivy league grad thing? and say, look, I work with an Ivy League grad, and let me tell you what yeah, goes absolutely. on. I say it all the time. I'm like, hey, I, right. It's like, it's either that or that I, uh, I, um, I switched to Geico or stayed in the Holiday Inn Express last night. But it's, it's one of the three. It gets, usually gets me. Right. But Mike, your point, I mean, so many, you know, how many leaders or, or, or employees of, of not so great leadership get a, a review or something and are totally caught off guard? Right. Or, or, or told they missed 
they missed the expectation or they missed when it was never set, right? Like if you're if you're surprising your employees with with their you know midterm or year end reviews, um, it's because the expectation isn't clear. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm a firm believer that I mean, and that that communication isn't. I may not have been clear with that, but that's not a a January one or two conversation that lasts the entire year. There ne- there needs to be updated check-ins, letting people know how they're going. Even if it's not a formal sit-down official review, it, it doesn't take long to just say, hey, really like what you're doing here. Would love for you to, if you have, want to talk more, come find me, but need you to pick it up here. Uh, I, I would like for us to be here with this project and um, let me know if, if there's something we can do or if we can help you get there. They, they know, okay, keep doing that, but I need to pick it up here. And maybe they will reach out for help. Maybe they didn't know that they needed to be there on that project. And so I think, you know, we, every survey in the world of evolving, involving leadership always comes back to commun- communication. And, and the, this is what that means. It's not just, I want to hear more blog updates from the CEO when he goes on vacation. That's not what they're talking about. They, they want to talk about this stuff that connects to them. That's pertinent to the work that they do each day. Yeah. So, Mike, you're talking about the difference between blame and accountability in part by whatever the motive is that the leader has when they interact with people that they work with. That's kind of intention. And what would you recommend a leader to do if they want to examine that motive? Ooh, I like I like that. Um there there has to be at the, the the whole aim of accountability is is to keep people and processes aligned to achieving a specific outcome if that's what we're trying to do have those conversations if if people are getting off course a little bit you you know we can have wide lanes as leaders but we have to have some guardrails at some point so that people don't go off the edge that's what this is conversation is about. Mm-hmm. Blame, is, on the other hand, pushes people off those edges. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they don't want to get back in line. No one likes to be blamed for anything, even if it's your fault and they know it's their fault. You know, you can approach that accountability. You know, you know we talked about the story of the person that made the, the huge, huge mistake. Um, Buffett's answer was one of accountability. Hey, I just invested a lot of money. I'm using the word invested. I could easily use a blame word. You cost me a lot of money. That's a blame word. I just invested in you. That's accountability. And that's partnership. And that's what we're looking for in accountability. We're looking for relationship and connection. Blame tends to send that in the other direction. And that's the difference. And so that is the motive to bring this person back into the group, back into alignment so that we can continue to work towards our goals. Or am I just pissed? And they, <laughs> these people keep making the same damn mistakes. I'm tired of it. And I'm going to let them, I'm, I'm letting them have it as soon as they get in Monday morning. That's, that's not helpful. Yeah, I agree with that because, you know, one of the things that I often find myself saying, especially to CEOs or people who are leading big departments, is that when they almost get a bee in their bonnet about somebody not doing their job or not taking direction or being a bad fit, I work my way towards the question of 
who hired that person and brought them on board and communicates with them and gives them expectations? I try to do it at the end of our time talking so that there's, you know, uh, time and place to absorb that. But I, I think this idea of responsibility is one that you're, you know, you're sort of describing indirectly that, you know, when somebody makes a mistake and they're one of your team members, there's no way that you're not partially responsible, partially accountable, and you've got much more power to make that mistake something that they can learn from. Yeah, it's, these are the things that make or break organizational cultures, moments like these. They're so decisive. We can look back to, to plenty of them. In the last few months, you know, today even, and I'm sure David, you as, can as well. Um, th these are these these shape the way people. You talk. We so the three of us have gone into so many companies, and you can tell the people that are just like frozen. Yeah. You know, like just yeah. stuck. You know, yeah. <laughs> just they they're scared. They don't want to. You know, like there's. It's like, dude, you're you know, young young lady, you are so smart. And I we like, how did you get to here? Mm -hmm. And it was somebody threw them under the bus for something, or something went sideways on a project, and they just never recovered from it. And so you're you can limit the creativity and stifle that in your organization in, in these kind of conversations where you can shift it for blame or accountability or they can be you know levers to pull to continue to, to build something brilliant yeah yeah i would call that the varsity presentation and we can move to the junior varsity presentation with dr pete well well actually um i've asked been asked not to be so self-deprecating so i did play varsity i played eight out of a possible 60 games at an ivy league school so uh which i'm very very proud of graduating from uh, can't read the degree because it's in latin but uh, nevertheless uh, excited to be in this conversation guys and i want to start with a quote and the quote is from uh the netflix series drive to survive you know metcalf and i talk about this all the time and it was from um the Mercedes team lead, Toto Wolf, and uh, they had a catastrophic failure in one of the races. And they asked him, like, you know, are you going to be, you know, hunting heads on Monday? And he said, when a problem happens in our, at our organization, we don't look at the person, we look at the problem. And what he's saying by that and what he's doing by stating that is that he's pulling the fuse out of the bomb. Right? Like, I really think that the difference between blame and accountability a lot of times boils down to emotion and how we can manage our emotion around, around either one. Right? You look at blame, a lot of times blame, um, it's emotional. It's reactive. Right? It's, it's, um, it's a coping mechanism for insecurity. Right? The, oftentimes, that's when, when blame shows up. And Mike and I had a lot of really horrendous examples of it early on in our careers um, to the point that when we got to Chip Ganassi Racing and we decided, okay, this is the way we want to run our pit crews, yeah. what we told our guys was this, is that if you make a physical mistake trying to be brilliant, that's, that's on Mike and I, right? We will take the blame for that. Um, but what we're going to hold you to account for is the mental stuff. Because we can't control that, right? You have a physical error. That the, the problem is the coaching, right? 
but we can't control your mental state. So we're going to hold you accountable if you lapse on this or forget to do that, or, you know, it all goes out the window when, when emotions are high. And I really think that as leaders, you know, we can, uh, we can trace that back. And, and you talked about like leaders never taking blame themselves. I think, I think a lot of times if you're a leader and you do take blame, it leads to accountability because you're like, Oh wow, I, I, I fell short or I failed my team this way. And that is on me, but I'm going to make sure I never do it again. Right. So that blame leads to accountability. I think if you're grounded in, in your leadership style. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, accountability, it's easier to blame because it's an easier conversation, right? It's emotional, it's downhill, right? Whereas, you know, holding people to account, that's hard. A lot of times it takes difficult decisions to hold people to account. But great leadership is about taking, to, is about taking people to a place that they will not get to themselves, mm. Right. And, and I think you only do that by holding them to account. And I think you hold people to account and it's, it's okay to let them know, Hey, I, I'm holding you to this standard because this is what I think I can get out of you. Mm-hmm. And you may not see it yourself, but I think we can get you there. And I think when you hold people to account and you allow them to become the best versions of themselves, they're going to thank you in the long run. Right. But, but again, that's, uh, that's hard. But if you come down and just start blaming people, you lose your team, you lose, it's just, it's a, it's a bad road to go down. But unfortunately it's the easier road. Man. I, I, uh, I love that because I was, as you're talking, it's like, this is a no brainer. It is incredibly easy to just blame people and it is incredibly hard to hold people accountable, but easy decisions are never going to get you to the next level. You, like, there's not a successful person company in the world that was like, "Yeah, it was all easy. We just did the easy. We took the easy route everywhere," <laughs> and that's why we're worth eighty billion today. Like, no one's ever, no one's ever said that. What do you do? How do you stay focused on the people when it's a really, really big problem? When it's a really big problem, you know, I think, you know, I, again, we we talked with the opening quote. We you, we look at the problem, not the person, right? Um, if it's a really big problem that, you know, is linked to multiple, you know, different tentacles of the org chart or multiple people, you start, you know, I, I think, I mean, you're naive, you're naive to think you're always going to just find the problem, right? A lot of times the problem's going to be tethered to the same person half a dozen times. <laughs> and then it's your, then your accountability is going to be to make sure that person's out the door, right? Um, you know, I think... You know, again, I just think that, um, you know, removing the emotion out of it, and and that's going to lead you to a problem or a person, right? And and I think that's the hard thing to do, you know, especially, you know, we've talked before about the pace of things and how frenetic, you know, the energy is in some of these companies. Um, It takes a tremendous amount of discipline to, to, to stay foundational when everything else is falling apart around you, right? That's really hard to do. Um, but again, we, we talk about all the time, everything great in life in business in teams lies on the other side of hard. Yeah. And it's not whether it's hard or not, it's whether it's worth it. So is it worth it to manage your emotions? It is, you know, cause that's how, that's how you're going to move the team forward. Sean, when you talk about the physical and mental mistakes, do you actually use the words blame and fault to describe your position and something that's gone wrong? We do. I mean, I guess we say, look, if you make a physical mistake, 
I guess I don't say blame. I, I guess what I say is that's on Mike and I. Yeah. Right? That's poor coaching. Right? If you go and you're physically not able to do something or, you're, you know, or it's incorrect, we take that. Yeah. Right? We'll, we'll take that. Right? Because, I mean, what Mike and I were exposed to when we got into this, it, the blame was unbelievable. And I thought we had it bad until um, we sat down with a guy who was in the Minnesota Vikings organization. And he talked about Monday mornings in an NFL office the day after a loss. And he said it's unbelievable. Like cascading bullshit, right? <laughs> to people that had nothing to do with the loss, but they're going to get an earful because their boss got an earful, mm-hmm. right? And I just... I don't think that's anything that highlights brilliant cultures. I don't. I, I think, um, you know, I think great leaders will, you know, will be a will be a, a wall against that blame, right? Like, there, there's plenty of times our crew chiefs are, you know, pit crew lost us the race, this and that, um, and we try to shield, you know, shield our guys from some of that, right? And try to figure out, okay, we lost it because this happened. Mm-hmm. Right, so let's address this next week so that it doesn't happen, you know, at Kansas this weekend. Um, so it's, uh, you know, again, we don't. I think our ability to manage our emotions is what allowed us to kind of be successful and and, and not point fingers. But it also differentiated Mike and I because everyone else is. I mean, first thing you do is just, oh yeah, it's Picker's fault. And then pit crew coach yells at the pit crew. Or they come in Monday morning and they glue up 40 sets of tires and they bury their guys. You know, I'm not interested in any of that performative stuff. We want to get to the root of the problem, right, and then hold people accountable, including ourselves, to make sure it doesn't happen again. You know, we we mention a lot this idea of managing your emotions, and maybe that's a completely separate topic. But if you're listening to this and – you know, sort of tracking along with your point, Sean, what what would you say is the summary for managing your emotions in difficult situations as a leader? I, I think, like I said, I don't know that I can trump that total wolf quote. When When a problem arises, look for the problem, not the person, right? And again, don't just default to the person because your emotions are saying, hey, that's Greg's fault, he's an idiot right it's 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 figuring out like tactically how we how we make sure this doesn't happen again right and that might mean hey greg's got to go right like i said if it's if, if it continues to be greg then greg might be the problem right um but i think you know not reacting first of all right if the problem comes in sometimes do you have to solve it immediately um yeah and that's really really difficult Right. If we have a problem Sunday at a race, our former boss, one of his best ideas is that it doesn't get talked to until Monday morning because there's so much emotion wrapped up in sport. And we're, you know, we're close confines in a plane for three hours. Us screaming at each other doesn't move the needle. Right. So go home, sleep. We'll come back in the morning. And a lot of times the emotions pulled out of the moment. Right. But if you can't if you can't extend that right to get out of the, the moment, then, you know, again, it's, it's, about, um, it's about being foundational, about, you know, not just taking our emotions as a, as a, as a directive, right, and, and just acting on, you know, some knee-jerk thing that we think is going to, you know, because what does blaming do in that moment, right? It, is, it, may, it may assuage, 
you know, some of the you know, pent up anger you have that things didn't go the right way. But what happens after that? Right? It erodes the trust of your team, right? If you're just if you're just blaming someone. Um, so I think it's it's it, I mean, is it hard? Yeah, but is it important? Absolutely. Is there any danger to to this? Do people I guess maybe the question is do do some people hide behind that? They they know like, yeah, I'm not really going to get blamed for this, you know. Uh we're just going to look at we're going to redo the process, you know. Is there any downside to looking at this this way? Um No, I yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, if that's in your if that's in your team or your company, you got a problem. Right. Like people that are trying to shirk responsibility. I think, yeah, it's a, it's a huge problem. Um, but, but again, you know, it's, what I'm saying is it's not holding people. I think, like I said, holding people accountable and blaming people is on the same spectrum, right? One's just charged with emotion. One's not. So, you know, sure. I'm not going to blame you. But when it goes sideways, I am going to hold you accountable. Mm, like that. Yeah, one of the hardest thing is, things as a leader is to not stuff your emotions down and end up to be a physical wreck because you've taught yourself not to feel anything for 15 years. To let those emotions be felt and go through your body, but to remain detached when you're actually making the decision and interacting with the people and the team. And I think not to turn this into an episode of managing your emotions, but Sean, you're really hitting some really, really important parts, especially when it comes to this interaction about mistakes and whether you tend towards the blame spectrum or the accountability yeah. spectrum. And there's, you know, there is significant costs associated with both. And I think that is a perfect segue to turn it over to you, David. <laughs> For the third half of the show. The third half of the show. My bit is that blame is expensive and accountability is profitable. I'm going straight to the PL on this one. And I don't see the two things that similar, even though, you know, we do sometimes use them interchangeably. And the expensive part of blame, it comes from this really easy, almost knee-jerk response to allocate fault. And in a group setting, that often involves shaming somebody or expecting them to be shamed. And it's almost like an artificial solution to the problem. Hey, we, we missed this target. Well, geez, it's David's fault. There we go. Done. Get rid of David and it's, everything's better which, yes, sometimes that's the case, but not very often. And blame really turns out to be judgment and pulling the rug out from underneath the person who's made the mistake. I think it's also a very addictive behavior and it really corrupts the business culture because when people get together, the Monday after the Sunday football game, it's, it sounds like almost like a religious ritual that there's going to be wailing and gnashing of teeth and everyone is going to get blamed. And from a, a expense or productivity point of view, it slows communication. So what's really happening between two workers, it's, it's, that's very hard to discern if the quote-unquote solution is blame. 
And if they're not communicating very well and bad news is almost like punishment and shame, that team is not gonna work together very well. And over time, employees learn to basically like protect themselves, justify what they've done. Well, you can't blame me because fill in the blank. I stayed up all night, I did what I said, the software tool, whatever. And also over time, I think that blame leads to fear. And you're just not gonna get creative solutions from a group if everyone's afraid. They're afraid of that shame, they're afraid of being blamed. And so that costs money. When your productivity is down, when people are not working well together, that really costs money. And you're also missing out on the longer term that blame basically stifles learning and skill development and collaboration. So two people who work together and let's say that you have two imperfect people, one or both of them will make mistakes at different times, but if they learn from them, well then now that's quite profitable. And now we're shifting to the idea of accountability being profitable. And accountability sort of assumes that failure is part of the process. And failure is not a sort of like a dead-end discrete event. And, you know, I'm right with you, Sean, about focusing on the task and the solution as opposed to the person. And that supports the process of working together. You can work together better. You can learn more. You can grow more. And you're more productive because when the group gets together to figure out what the next iteration or the improvement or the change so that they don't make the same mistake again, that's, that's like a matter of focus. Like imagine you've got 10 people working on something and they're all you know, almost looking in the same direction to figure out how to take the hill or buy the factory or get the stuff on time. Imagine them competing against a culture of 10 people who just almost unconsciously and retroactively blame each other when something goes wrong and then try to do it with nine of them because one of them has been labeled uh, an idiot. So I really see it as something that goes straight down to the bottom line of the P&L because it's got so much to do with productivity and success of how your people work together. Yep. I mean, you said a lot there. Um, and I, and I believe all of it true. I think, you know, one of the things that really resonated with me right at the start was, you know, especially new leaders, you know, thinking they have to allocate fault, right? Like if something's sideways, their job as a leader is to allocate fault. Right. And I think, you know, we, we talk about calcified ideologies, right? Like things that we still do that no longer serve us. Um, how does how does the leader present prevent themselves from that almost automated you know reaction to oh we went sideways um, I better put it on someone I think it's language I mean you know in several groups that I worked with d depending on what we were working on but you know about this idea of accountability and blame and getting the group to work together I kind of said okay so let's let's go through the next whatever, month or quarter or our next phase, and nobody say the word blame. Nobody say the word fault, especially it's my fault. Because when you think about fault is like something that's like personally wrong. And even though, yeah, 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 I know that's not what you meant, but it's what you said. 
and everybody's listening. And not only that, but you're listening and you just called yourself wrong. Well, how's that for a start of a day? So I think that, I think that one thing that leaders can do is almost like to examine the language that his or her team uses and what language the leader uses, because there's an awful lot that you communicate with specific words that even though they're commonly accepted and, oh, you know what I mean, they have massive, massive effects. No, oh, I, I, I completely agree. Uh, you know what I mean? And it's, it's, it's not even what you say, it's, it's, it's how what you say is absorbed, right, is perceived, right? And, and again, it's, it's being very, we go back to intention, right? It being very intentional about that language. You know, because again, you talk about, you start throwing blame around a company, right? And that erodes trust. Well, then that erodes the speed of your business. And there's no way that you can see where that becomes a very costly thing within a company. I mean, yeah. to, to the negative. Yeah, I had, I had one person who worked for me, for good reason, that'll be anonymous. And this person would often report during the executive meetings, well, this went wrong and it was because, you know, another person did this thing. And it almost became a joke because I would, you know, after that little report, I would say, does that person feel supported? And in the beginning, this, you know, the executive's answer was, why should they feel supported? They just forgot to do this thing. And my response was, well, I don't think your conversation's over because how is that person not going to do that thing again? And how are they going to learn and grow? And how are, you know, like, what's your relationship like? And I think that's, I think you make a really good point because how you communicate makes such a big difference. You know, and we, we talk about this a little bit. When you have a meeting with somebody or, you know, something sort of like big happens and you're not just walking down the hall going to lunch and you're responding to your email dings and your Teams notifications and your Instagram and your mail, like all this stuff, how does that person feel heard? Right. I agree. I, I, I agree. And, and again, you start um, minimizing voices in a company. You're in, you're going in a bad direction, man. Man, what what is it about? To your to your point, David. I mean, and Sean, you talk about like the like the cognitive cradle that people need, you know, when they work. Um, what is it about blame that just shuts people down? You know, because I'm I'm thinking about this, and I'm like, you know, I know a few people that they they spend more time protecting their work than actually doing their work. Yeah, you know. I I mean, I think the simple answer to your question, at least from my perspective, is that blame is synonymous with judgment. And while all leaders don't have that, are not up in the hierarchy of reason and have right reason, like a deity, it kind of works like that in a lot of businesses, that a leader can say, well, this is your fault, and there's going to be consequences, and I'm going to see it that way. And that makes that person feel really badly. And you think about you know, this story that we keep telling several times each episode about, I'm not going to fire you because I just spent $10 million training you. In some way, that's the leader basically signaling, look, we're all in this together. And we have to figure this out 
because you may turn out to be so valuable to the company that you're going to make a decision that makes us 20 million and then the whole company is 10 million ahead. You know, just listening to your answer, David, you know, it kind of triggered something in me. And I think one of, one of the things that makes blame so difficult to absorb is, you know, we've talked about self-determination theory before, right? Our mm-hmm. tribal biology about the things that make us happy. And that's three things. Being connected to others, um, uh, being authentic in our lives. But the third one is being competent at what you do. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you take on blame, it challenges that piece of our tribal biology. It's saying, hey, you're not competent. Right. And that hits us at a cellular level. That's hard. Right. Because you're, you're basically saying, look, you're coming up short in life. Right. And I think that's why blame stings the way it does. Because there's a lot of things that, that people can do, say to you, just roll off. But I think blame really, you know, I, I know at the start of, you know, when we started coaching, um, you know, when we were blamed for stuff, that's a that's a tough one. And and I think it goes it's it's because we're biologically predisposed to to hate it. Yeah, and I think that you know a lot of blame, if not most blame, is necessarily connected to this ideal perfectionist state, where you know you talk about like see yourself authentically and have other people see you authentically. Well, we're all imperfect and we're going to make mistakes, and if we're not okay to ourselves because we're always saying oh that's my fault that's my fault i have to do that or your boss saying kind of like george carlin you're a fucking loser bobby that's very difficult because as far as i can tell none of us have the option to be perfect i mean it almost seems like if you've not had some sort of accountability or had some sort of blame at all lately then you maybe you're not in the right place. Maybe you need to find something that challenges you more or something that you can be more creative in, or, or maybe it's just up to you to, to, to do the work, to get past those fears, to go do something that, that actually contributes at a, at a greater level affects that P and L, you know, in a better way, like you're talking about, David. I mean, to, to Sean's point, the, that blame hits you at a cellular level, um, and, and crushes you, you know, it can, and we've seen that, but it, it sounds like accountability when done the right way aligned with expectations that both parties have agreed to actually kind of, actually kind of lifts you up. It kind of gets you back in the, to that track to where you become competent. Um, and, and so I hope, I hope people get a hold of that. Cause I think that's important. Yeah. Cause you talk about the cellular level, which I think is connected to so many of the things that we do and say and choose. Imagine, making a mistake or somebody on your team making a mistake and the default the default meeting i guess is okay well let's all put our heads together and figure this out and there's no judgment and there's no shame and there's no like reason for you to have that sort of rejection as part of the group's response what are your cells doing now your cells are saying okay I feel safe. I feel valued. And I'm being seen for who I am because if I'm going to make a hundred attempts, you know what? Some of them are going to be, some of them are going to be misses and they might be big and that's still okay. Yeah, that, that is still okay. You know, and I think, I mean, that's, that's, that's ideal, right? I think, you know, a lot of times we get in this room and, you know, everyone's trying to climb over each other, moving up the, you know, the corporate ladder. And I think that's where, you know, 
toxic culture struggle because you can't get in a room where it's okay to, to fail or it's, you know what I mean? And I think you know, without someone pointing it out or someone trying to, you know, get a leg up on you or something like that. And I think like, again, good leadership, um, you know, mitigates a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my, I'll, I'll start with the practical tip. I have one and we kind of talked about it before, but that is if you're in a leadership position and you've, you're running a team, really examine the language that you use, that you allow, that you encourage people not to say, because that will affect how your team operates. And it's almost like a, it's almost like a starter drug to get towards this group accountability and the, the synchronicity that comes from that. It's very, very hard to get a cooperative collaboration, you know, learning and acceptance if you allow or say, well, that's your fault. I don't know if I can top that, but um, I, I, I've always lo <laughs> loved those, uh, you know, the videos where, you know, say it's a sports team and the, if you do something wrong, you got to do 25 push-ups. Mm -hmm. And the videos where you see the coach doing the 25 push-ups, uh, it just, it hits different when you see the leader being visible, holding themselves to the same standard of accountability that they want everybody else to be you know, tell themselves to. So I would just say if there's ever opportunities as a leader to, to hold yourself accountable, if there's a way to be visible to where, you know, you just let people know like, Hey, I, this isn't just for you. Like I, I got to do this too. Um, that will encourage other people to do the same thing, <laughs> you know, yeah. follow the leader. Right. I mean, that just, just, that's just how it works. Um, and, um, and people are energized by that, you know, and it, it doesn't look like, oh, this is the worst thing in the world, man, the boss, he's, he's doing the pushups too. He's doing the, the firehouse run. He's doing the, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, I, I would just say, you know, when you do things like when you take blame and give credit to other people, you just, you push them toward, like Sean said, things that they may not do on their own. And so, um, just don't be afraid to hold yourself accountable. It's not, no one's going to look at you and say, oh, the boss is a failure or we need to blame him for stuff. They're going to, or her for stuff. They're going to say, man, she, I love working for her. This is really cool. My, yeah. my last, the last lady I worked for, she would never do that. You know, <laughs> so uh, take advantage of those opportunities when you get them. Well, I think, I, I know we all consider ourselves athletes, even though the ugly truth is that we're all former athletes. <laughs> yes. But the, you know, the shared suffering of a group, I think, is an excellent, excellent point. And I, I almost want to like judo that a little bit to have leaders consider that when you're examining a mistake, when somebody makes a mistake and the group gets together and there has to be some work done, that the leader participates in it too. And you know, if there's a group of people that have to talk about things and they need copies made and you don't have anything to do, go make the fucking copies because that helps. And it's yeah. not, you don't understand, you should see my W2. I don't make copies. That's, that's not going to go anywhere. So I think, yes, there is a tradition of, okay, we, we messed that up. So everybody's going to do burpees until they puke, right? But a, a different version of that, that can be kind of helpful sometimes is, all right, a mistake was made. I'm going to dive in there with you and try to help figure this out to the best of my ability with the end goal that the group learns and moves forward and has a slightly different plan to approach the same situation next time. Hmm. Good advice. Good advice. Yeah. And, and, and 
I would end with this is, you know, if you are in, in, in a situation or a moment, um, you know, and you, it's emotionally charged and you're deciding between uh, accountability or blame, say this to yourself. Manage your emotions. You're not a child. Manage your emotions. You're not a child. Manage your emotions. You're not a child. That's what I try to do, right? Because it gives me an instant dose of perspective. Because my Uh default is I just want to rip your head off. And and Uh that's not a great... uh, that's not a great response. So um, sometimes I cha- interchange child with um, with bitch. So manage your emotions. You're you're being <laughs> bitch. Uh, so either one, whatever works for you. But uh, manage the space between the stimulus and response, and you'll come out the other side the better for it. That reminds me of something I learned last week from one of my UK friends. We were talking about something very similar, and his thing that he says sometimes to people that work for him is easy peasy lemon you're a fucking adult (laughs) (laughs) what's the success rate on these on these quotes guys pretty north of 70 80 well i think it depends whether the quote is inside your head or you say it to somebody Okay. Right. right right sean's quote may not work very well in the commonwealth of mass holes because There's just no profanity in it, so it can't really be serious. (laughs) Right. But if you say it to yourself, you know, it's it's good to build those checks and to, you know, take a breath, step back and say, wow, that really pissed me off. Mm -hmm. I got to I got to let that flow through me before I decide to start making decisions. Yeah. Going back to that spirited conversation, this last thing I'll say uh, with the two gentlemen earlier, uh, the leader of the group of the conversation could have easily took taken that as somebody being passionate about something and I'm going to take responsibility to try to continue to ask questions, develop pro- pro- products, whatever, to make this a better experience for, for this employee, right? And it would be very easy to just say, you know what, okay, let me think about it and I'll get back to you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, uh, man, it incredibly deep conversation a lot to, to to digest but how you respond to people how you talk to people how you communicate it just kind of comes down to the basics and in these either shoot your company down or shoot it up and mike if i understand your relationship there with sean it's it's your duty when something goes wrong to tell the person sean will talk to you tomorrow yeah <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> or it'd be best if you talk to Sean tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm like, yeah, don't. Um, what, what else you got going on for today? Oh, I think I'm done. I was just going to talk to Sean. Like, yeah, you should go home. <laughs> or as we would say to our daughter about our older son, don't poke the bear. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. All right. So with that, we are around the bend. We really appreciate everyone who's listening and we will talk to you again next week. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks everyone. See ya.